It's May 26, 1993. Bernard Tappy stands on the sidelines of a huge sports stadium. He's about to watch his team compete for one of the biggest prizes in soccer, the Champions League. The players come onto the field and the place erupts. The stadium is awash with color. Blue and white for Tappy's French team, Marseille. Red and black for the Italians, AC Milan. This game is basically France versus Italy. And the French team has never won this competition. There's this stirring classical music that's playing through the stadium speakers. The atmosphere is electric. As the whistle blows and the game begins, it immediately becomes clear that Marseille have their work cut out. The AC Milan players are giants. I mean, these dudes are huge. And for the first 10 minutes, they're attacking wave after wave. And then, two minutes before halftime, Marseille scores. It's complete chaos for the fans. I mean, dudes are jumping all over each other, tears streaming down their faces. I'm talking about pure elation. But the Marseille players have a steely look on their faces. They realize they still have another 45 minutes to go. For them, the next 45 minutes really feel like 45 years. The Marseille supporters are screaming for the referee to end the game. Eventually, he puts his whistle to his mouth and blows. The game has ended. Back in France, millions of fans have been watching, crowded around grainy television sets in town squares and at local bars. They all go crazy. They take to the streets in their cars, honking their horns. For the first time, these people can say they're champions of Europe. And Tappy, he's their hero, the guy responsible for assembling this team of winners. As the trophy gets passed around the players, He's right there in the thick of it, getting hugs and congratulatory backslaps from everybody. Two weeks after the game, Tappy is sitting in his office, still basking in the glory of Marseille's success. His phone rings. It's his lawyer. Turns out, the hero of the French nation is a suspected crook. I'm Alzo Slade, and from something else, this is Cheat the show that asks the question, is it ever okay to break the rules? This week, soccer, scandal, and Bernard Tappy. When glory, corruption, and greed meet in equal measure, and one man embodies a win-at-all-cost mentality. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, I have to confess, I'm not exactly an expert in soccer or football, as the Brits on our team keep writing in capitals in this episode script. Just so you know, I see you guys. You're not slick. 
football, soccer, I understand. So when we were talking about covering this story, I knew we had to speak to someone who could help me out. My name is Julien Laurence. Uh, I'm a, uh, a French football writer, broadcaster, journalist. I work mostly for ESPN. Julien was a typical kid living in Paris in the 80s. He loved, and I mean really loved, soccer. My dad was playing and working a bit in football. My granddad was a big football fan as well. I played a lot at high level. I played in the fourth division in France. The main team in Paris is PSG. And like everyone else in their neighborhood, Julian and his family were big, big fans. PSG's main rival? Another team in the south of the country, Marseille. They hated them. So, of course, we always had an eye, even if we were a bit resentful, always had an eye on Marseille and what they were doing. In the early 80s, when Julian was growing up, Marseille was losing the battle for superiority over PSG. They hadn't won a league title in 14 years. They were on their knees, searching for a savior who could bring back some success. Enter Bernard Tappy. The funny thing is Bernard Tappy is a Paris-born and bred kid. Pure one, like literally like me. Tappy grew up in the rough suburban neighborhood of Belleville in the 40s and 50s. His father was tough on him. Tappy wrote in his book that when things were wrong, he gave me corrections with his belt. Basically, his pop whipped his behind when he was screwing up. Coming from a, from a poor family with not much at all growing up, I think the drive and the ambition was always for Tappy to become someone. And Tappy was a natural showman. He's always been very attracted to the limelight, being famous. He was blessed with a gift. Huge mouths in the sense that you could tell there was something in there, the charisma, the ego, the arrogance, the self-confidence. Sounds like he had the makings of a celebrity. By the time he was 23, Tappy was trying to be a famous singer. He even released a single called I Love Them All. It wasn't exactly a hit. Luckily for him, Tappy also had an aptitude for business. He made money selling TVs door-to-door before setting up his own hardware shop. In the 1970s, France was in a bad way economically. There was inflation and recessions and all kinds of bleak shit. But it was here where Tappy saw his opportunity. He started to get this reputation as a guy who would buy failing companies on the cheap, turn their fortunes around, then sell them for a profit. He was nicknamed the Zorro of business. By the time he was 40, he was a multimillionaire. But still, he craved the spotlight. He had the feeling that sports at the time in the 80s was a bit underestimated in the sense that it was a vector for happiness for people. So he was one of the first to realize the impact that sport could have on society, of course, but also on himself. That was how Tappy would make his name. He set his sights on something that was huge in France and still is, cycling. At the time, you didn't need much money to get into cycling, not like today. So that's how he started his his sporting career, really. So Tappy created a professional cycling team and started spending money. He signed some of the greatest cyclists of that era, Bernard Hinault and Greg LeMond. I mean, I don't know much about cycling, but I've heard of these guys. This changed the game for Tappy. 
1985 and 1986, his team dominated, winning both the individual and team trophies. Tappy was becoming a face in the mainstream. He even had his own TV show called Ambition, whereby he coached young entrepreneurs to start their own business, a bit like a French version of The Apprentice. And then he became too big for cycling. So the next thing was uh, football, of course. As it turned out, Tappy had a good relationship with the mayor of Marseille. The mayor knew Marseille's soccer team was in need of an affluent owner. You know, someone with some dynamism and flair. And his wife was very, very keen on Dana Tappy too, who, who just thought he was an amazing guy. And they really believed that he could take the club back to where it was or where it should be. And they got it right because as soon as he arrived at the club, the impact was incredible. Marseille is this big port city, and for thousands of years, it's welcomed people from all over the world. It was always in the middle of immigration movement. You've got a lot of diversity in the city. It's a huge uh, French hip-hop scene as well. Marseille was a sleeping giant, and their fans were calling on somebody to wake the team from its slumber. You leave for Olympique de Marseille when you live in Marseille. You don't support any other team. You don't care about anyone else, anything else. All of them are Marseille managers. They all have an idea how the team should play, who should play, who should not be played, who should be dropped. Pressure is huge over there from, from the incredible fans that they have. The Marseille fans took the tapi straight away. I think the season before he arrived, the average attendance at the Velodrome was something like 15,000 maybe or something like that. Marseille Stadium, the Stade Velodrome, could hold around 40,000. So 15,000 in there, it looked pretty weak. He made the Velodrome such a hostile place to go again. That changed the whole dynamic. In the 1980s, the money in soccer wasn't what it is now. Now, you got teams owned by oil-rich countries like Abu Dhabi and Saudi Arabia. Their funds are pretty much endless. But back then... In 1986, Tappy was one of the first guys to realize the financial opportunity that soccer presented. Because he said, hang on a minute, I can do what I did with cycling, which is inject some money, get some of the best, put it together, it'd be harder because it's a bigger team than the cycling team. But why not doing the same? And that's how it happened. It started low, and then it got bigger and bigger and bigger. But Tappy wasn't only about spending money. He knew from his time in business that you had to spend it the right way. And that meant buying the best players. Tappy was all about feelings, gut instinct, gut feelings, all of that. In French, we say he could smell success. This dude just had a knack for spotting talent. But it's one thing to spot it and a whole other thing to secure it. He was such a, a wheeler dealer. When it came to getting the best players, this guy Tappy... He played dirty. And I'll give you an example. Two seasons after Tappy arrived at Marseille, he was in a battle with another French club, Monaco, for this Ghanaian superstar by the name of Abedi Ayou. Now, this was the height of the AIDS crisis in Africa. So every time a club would try to sign a player of African origin, they'd insist on a blood test during the medical to test if they were HIV positive. 
as if there was no HIV on other continents. But whatever. So Abedi goes to Monaco to get a physical. They ask him to take a blood test. But Tappy has already advised Abedi to refuse. At the same time, Tappy started spreading a lie that Abedi was HIV positive. How fucked up is that? So Monaco thinks, here's Abedi refusing a blood test. And we're hearing rumors that he got HIV. So they pull the plug on the transfer and Tappy's team, Marseille, they swiftly move in to sign a Betty. That's some low-down conniving shit right there, if you ask me. Tappy was assembling his dream team by any means necessary. And what a team it was. The blend of it, the superstar, the super talented, and then the ones less talented, they had mean players, flair players, technical players, physical players. So... Tappy had the players, he had the fans, and he had the personality. In 1989, it all clicked for Marseille. They finished top of the division, ending a 17-year wait for a National League title. And so began a period of dominance for the team. They went on to win the next four titles in a row. And Tappy was always at the center of it. He was always in the dressing room at halftime, before the game, after the game. He was very much involved with the players, very close to his dressing room. Too close, probably, of course, but that was that was his way of managing that club and that team. Yeah, I just don't think they had many weakness, apart from maybe the fact that they always wanted to win at all costs. Even Tappy's business ventures were going well. In 1990, he purchased an 80% stake in a struggling German sports brand, Adidas. He took them from the verge of bankruptcy to a profitable company. He was the guy who changed the logo from the classic lotus flower to the modern three stripes that we all know. So yeah, that's a little trivia knowledge for all my sneakerheads out there. Winning, if you really want it, you can. Adidas Torsion. Marseille was dominating in France, but they also had their sights set on a different competition, the European Cup. As you may have guessed by the name, all the best teams in Europe compete for it, and Tappy was obsessed with winning it. And this is where I got to let y'all know, it gets kind of confusing for me, because these dudes, they play a whole lot of games. They really fight on two fronts basically playing in two leagues at the same time. So Marseille have both the European Cup and their domestic league to compete in. In the 1990 season, they reached the semifinal of the European Cup and were playing a Portuguese team called Benfica. And this is where everything changes for Tappy. During the game, one of Benfica's midfielders, this Brazilian guy named Vada, he uses his hand to score a goal. Even I know you can't do that in soccer. And you got to understand, this ain't no subtle thing where the ball just grazes his hand. It's like this dude used the volleyball serve. And even us watching on the television, you could see on television. Yo, Tappy was pissed. He thought this was all a massive conspiracy against him and Marseille. And I think Tappy, after that day, said, you know what, we got cheated here, clearly. This will never happen again. And I actually... If something like that similar happens, it would be me that is on the good end of it, not on the bad end. So for him, he's like, if they're going to cheat, maybe I should too. 
More on that after the break. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. The Champions League is one of the most watched sporting competitions in the world. Every year, it attracts audiences in the millions. Originally called the European Cup, it was invented by the French. So it's always been very close to French people because, because it's kind of our competition, really. They hadn't exactly had much luck. A French team reached a couple of finals in the 50s, another in the 70s. But aside from that, no team had even come close. So there was also a feeling for Tapi to be the first one ever. And I think, again, we go back to his own ambitions. He, for him to, to be the first uh, owner of a French club to win the European Cup was huge, of course. So here's this major tournament created by the French, but the French have never won it. Going into the 1993 season, the tournament changed from the old European Cup to the Champions League. There was this feeling around Europe that this was a major opportunity for everyone. With the change of format, it was almost like a fresh start. And Marseille, they took full advantage. Up to the final, really, every team is it's beatable for them. They're Marseille, they're big, they're huge, they've got great players. So really, the final is really the only game where they face maybe a team that is better than them or certainly at the same level. Marseille pretty much breezed their way into the final of the Champions League that year. They were unstoppable. But remember, that wasn't the only tournament they were playing in. So check this out. The week before the Champions League final rolls around, five days before, in fact, they got to play a domestic league game against some other team called Valenciennes. It's like having to play a real game just a few days before the Super Bowl. That's crazy. And Tapi is a bit frustrated by it. It's a bit tense. There's this game with Valenciennes before. Then there's the Champions League final. Tapi's got a bad feeling about it. Surely something will go wrong and mess up their chances before the big game. But he didn't have to stress. Marseille won the game by a goal, and that's a normal score. But the game itself was weird. I still remember watching it, and it was like an, it was just a non-match. It was very average, no intensity, just nothing. Like, really, like a preseason game. Preseason friendlies in soccer, they're not really competitive. It's like preseason in the NFL. Nobody's flying into tackles or trying to hurt each other. They all just want to get through unscathed. And that's what this game was like. It was the sort of performance 
you would never expect Valenciennes to put in, especially against Marseille. Everybody wanted to beat them. Everyone wanted to beat all their superstars and the, the, the champions for the last four years. They were, not, they were not walkovers, you know? So for them, it would have been a big game. And always when Marseille was in town, it was big. So clearly to have that lack of intensity, of not much going on in the game at all, was a bit strange. After the match, Marseille went to start their preparations for their Champions League final against AC Milan. So everything's cool, right? Mmm, not so much. You know why? Because we know Tappy. This joker is slick. And the run-up to the Champions League final, this was the perfect condition to bring that out. Just think about it. The stakes were high, and international glory was within touching distance. Nothing's going to mess that up for him. He just couldn't stop thinking. What if, during that game, only four days before the Champions League final in Munich, imagine someone gets injured. Imagine we lose a player. Imagine there's something. And we can't let that happen. We cannot have players getting injured before the big final. So he had a player in, in the squad called Jean-Jacques Edley, who knew some of the Valencian boys. Four days before the Valencian match, Jean-Jacques Edley had gone to one of Tappy's yacht parties. Edely was a midfielder for Marseille. He had only joined Marseille that season. Maybe he was keen to impress Tappy. It was on the yacht where Tappy pulled Edelie to the side and informed him of his plan. I mean, cooking up secret plans on a yacht? This dude is definitely like an evil genius. Tappy told Edelie to reach out to a couple of Valenciennes players he knew. This dude wanted to bribe them so they'd take it easy on his players and not injure them. And money was made available. The night before the game, Edelie called the Valenciennes players. Christophe Robert, the team's captain, and Jorge Burachaga. The deal was this. In exchange for taking it easy, each player would receive a cash envelope containing hundreds of thousands of French francs. Robert and Burachaga agreed to the deal on the condition that 50% was paid up front. The next day, the game kicked off, and around 23 minutes in, Christophe Robert, the Valencian captain, collapsed after a soft tackle and was substituted. In the match report, the referee noted that usually Jorge Burachaga disputed everything, but that evening, not only did he not dispute anything, he asked others to be silent. But the referee also noted something else. He said, conversely, Jacques Glassman ran around as if he was trying to prove something. Jacques Glassman. He was another player for Valenciennes. And he just so happened to be roommates with Robert and Burachaga. When they got the call from Adelie offering them the bribe, they decided to cut Glassman in. But Glassman wasn't convinced. That night, he didn't sleep. He just paced around his hotel room, smoking cigarette after cigarette, trying to decide what to do. The thing with Glassman is... They made a mistake. He was not the right guy. I mean, if you're going to bribe athletes on a team, you better be damn good at picking the right ones. You see, this guy Glassman, he was a clean-cut dude, real family man, and in his 30s at the time. He was too old for this shit. Glassman was always the one that I think 
was very resentful from the beginning. And it's not surprising, I think, uh, for someone like him who, yeah, I think was psychologically maybe not ready to take on that kind of pressure. I think he saw himself as an honest, loyal guy, you know, and to, to lay down on a game on a football match where he was paid by his club, by the fans who were, as we said, in a sellout crowd to watch him and his team take on the great Marseille side. He was the one that was always the most likely for me to, yeah, to crack and to, and to tell it all. During the game at halftime, Glassman told his manager about what was going down, that Adele had offered him a bribe to take it easy. And at that point, the investigation began. More on that after the break. Five days after the game, Marseille line up for the Champions League final against AC Milan. The match itself is an all-out war. 42 minutes in, their Ghanaian superstar, Abedi, the one who Tappy lied about having HIV, set up Marseille's winning goal. After the game, Tappy said, we were absolutely sure of winning. None of us had any doubt. Two weeks go past. Marseille, they're still basking in their triumph. Little did they know, the police had started a criminal investigation into Tappy and the bribery of the Valencian players. You see, it turns out the Valencian captain, Robert, had folded. His coach had basically forced him to tell the police where he was hiding the money. Robert's collapse was swiftly followed by the Marseille player, Edeli, who Tappy used to deliver the bribe. Adelie then lifted the lid on what had happened. These players were singing like canaries. And by this point in the episode, we all know Tappy was not going out without a fight. He even attempted to bribe the Valencian manager so that he'd admit to orchestrating the whole thing, not Tappy. The manager was like, hell no, and then went to inform the police. Sounds like Tappy was losing his touch a little bit, huh? In February of 1994, Tappy was charged with corruption and attempted witness tampering. For Marseille, the punishment was swift and severe. They'd be barred from defending their Champions League title. Tappy was eventually sentenced to two years in prison, of which he served eight months. During the trial, Tappy told the judge he'd lied in good faith. What the hell does that even mean? Even the judge said, You could have that phrase studied in a philosophy textbook. But that's not even where it ended with Tappy. People were now going through his entire history with Marseille, and there were all kinds of accusations flying around. Whether that was doping, match-fixing, bribery of referees, opponents, officials, I think people had a lot of suspicions before. And then I think... After the Valencian story emerged, most stories were told. Not all were proven, of course. Uh, and Tapi kept saying, I'm innocent, I didn't do anything wrong. And it wasn't just the soccer. People started thinking, but what if he had cheated for everything else? Everything that he's achieved. What about all those companies that he bought for one francs? Maybe that was not genuine either. Maybe he cheated on that too. It was crazy to think that he got so big and then crushed down so quickly. Even though Tappy went to prison and lost a lot of money, he still was kind of viewed as a hero by a lot of people in France, especially in Marseille. 
Glassman, however, the Valencian player who blew the whistle, this dude was basically a pariah. I think a lot of French people all around the country were angry at Glassman for having made it public. See, you got to understand just how loved Marseille was. Marseille, this great team, this great story of dominance, of power, of entertainment, all of that, that made so many people proud and happy all around the country. And yet, it was fake. And I think pe- people were angry with Glassman because all of that now was, was, was here for everybody to think of, to talk about, to debate on French television, on French radio, in the newspapers. The backlash towards Glassman was almost bigger than the backlash towards Tapi. It's kind of crazy, right? I mean, what does it say about us as a society that we tend to blame the whistleblowers more than the actual cheats? I guess it's because we have these loyalties built up in our heads. We don't want to believe the people we support would do anything wrong because in a way, that implicates us. And nowhere is this more apparent than in sport. I mean, if you really think about it, when my favorite NFL team, the Dallas Cowboys, doesn't play by the rules, I'm not exactly up in arms. We don't even tend to think of sport as real life. It's entertainment. Politics, though, that's altogether a different matter, as Tappy came to realize. From starting out as a socialist politician, he ended up getting involved with the center right. And when I say involved, I mean involved in a very wheeler-dealer, slick, Tappy kind of way. With the French president at the time, Tappy became, as he described it, a symbol of evil for many people in France. And he got himself and the president convicted in one of the biggest political scandals in French history. But that, my friends, is a cheat story I'm going to have to save for another day. Hey, folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next week on Cheat, the bank manager who mistook a Ponzi scheme for an amazing investment. He was convinced that uh, Mr. Sissoko could double any amount of money. Tens of millions, if not 100 million or more, was wire transferred from the Dubai Islamic Bank. It's a completely crazy story over an enormous amount of money. Cheat is written and presented by me, Alzo Slade. The producer for this episode is Tom Fuller. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Ennis Bowen. The original idea for this show was developed by Tom Fuller. Engineering, sound design, and scoring by Martin Peralta at Output Media. Our design and visual team is Emma Lansdowne and Sarah De La Rue. Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Iker Egbatola.